Our scripture lesson is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, page 1320 in the Pew Bible, page 1320, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading the entire chapter. First Corinthians 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. As far as the reading of God's Word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to look at Lord's Day 21, page 880, in the back of the Psalter hymnal, at the bottom of the second column, and continuing on the next page, page 880, bottom of the second column, Lord's Day 21. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through His Spirit and Word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for Himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by His grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into judgment. Beloved of the Lord, we began last Lord's Day to look at the third part of the Heidelberg the third part of the Apostles' Creed as it is summarized in the catechism the third part dealing with the holy spirit and our sanctification and tonight we continue that study looking at the holy spirit's work in gathering the church and equipping the church and giving the church assurance that its sins are forgiven and so tonight we want to consider what we believe Concerning the church, we don't, uh, we believe in God, we believe in uh, Jesus, we believe in the Holy Spirit, we put our trust in them. We don't believe in the church, we believe concerning the church. Uh, we don't put our trust in the church, but we have certain biblical truths that are the object of our faith regarding the church. We believe the church is certain things, and I say we believe it because. The Bible tells us that this is so. The sad truth is, however, that we don't always measure up to what the Bible says the church should be. And so as we look at these attributes of the church tonight, uh, we uh, will be uh, doing so not only to learn what the church is, but what the church ought to be and what we should strive to more and more become. Well, what do we believe about the church? Well, one of the first things we believe is that it is a chosen community. We read, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, that uh, God chose us before the foundation of the world. He adopted us to be uh, his children. It says there, we, all, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. He chose us. He chose us to be members of the church. Again, Romans 8, those whom he foreknew, he called, those whom he called, he 
justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. That word foreknew in Romans chapter 8, those whom he foreknew, he uh, called, or uh, those whom he uh, foreknew, he uh, he called, yes. Uh, Some people think that uh, God simply knew about us. He, He looked into the future and said, you know, there's a young man who uh, will, will make a good uh, usher in the church someday, and so I'm going to choose him because of his qualities. That's not what foreknow means. God doesn't look in advance and measure this one against that one and, and choose the best. Uh, the reasons for choosing are not found in us. The reasons for choosing are found in him because he's a God of love. Uh, he, uh, therefore, there is no... Uh, uh, reason for pride or arrogance with regard to being chosen. Uh, the word foreknow has that word know in it, and biblical knowing is much more uh, intimate than uh, our use, English use of the word know. The, uh, the Hebrews uh, said uh, Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Well, he, he wasn't just aware of her presence. Uh, knowing her meant uh, intimate relations uh, with her. And uh, it's the same with uh, the word foreknow those whom God foreknew, those whom God foreloved, those whom he loved in advance, loved uh, deeply in advance for reasons in himself. He chose us to be his people. Uh, Peter writes his first epistle to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Again, the church is God's elect, God's chosen ones. And Acts 13, verse 48 says, All those who were appointed for eternal life believed. The disciples, uh, the apostles are preaching, and in response to their preaching, all who were appointed, all those who were chosen by God, those are the ones who believed. This is God's sovereign choice for reasons found in him, not in us. Therefore, there, no one can boast. Uh, it uh, makes us humble before God, and it makes us compassionate toward the world to know that God chose us even though we didn't deserve to be chosen. Because the church is a chosen community, it's uh, not a voluntary association of like-minded people. The Republican Party and the Democratic Party and uh, Political action committees are voluntary associations of like-minded individuals, people who uh, believe in a certain cause and certain principles and voluntarily get together, form a society, which they are, of course, free to leave at any time. It's voluntary. The church is not a voluntary society. It is uh, voluntary in the sense that It takes an act of volition on your part, an act of the will to uh, become a member of the church that is a professing member of the church. It takes an act of the will to do that, but there is a moral obligation to do that. God calls you to do it. He calls all men everywhere to repent and believe and to become members of his church. And so we're under a moral obligation to do so. you're under no moral obligation to join a political party. And so in that sense, uh, the church is uh, not a voluntary association like those uh, things. 
the church is also not a private club. A private club uh, gets to choose who they want to be members. And they can say, uh, well, that person over there, uh, he'd be a great asset to to our our group. We ought to uh, try to convince him to to join our group. And uh, this person, uh, this person over here, wants to be a member of our group, but they don't have a good reputation in the community. We, we don't want that person in our, in our group. That, that's the way private clubs work. But that's not the church. Christ chooses who's going to be a member. And uh, he makes his choice evident where, those, uh, where the Spirit produces a, a good profession of faith. Believers and their children are members of the church, uh, believers who give evidence of faith by uh, that good confession. And so uh, we are a chosen community, not a voluntary association, not a private club, but one that God is creating for himself. We are also a gathered community, a gathered community, gathered by Christ through his word and spirit. The word goes forth. Summoning people to come. You know, the, uh, one of the words that's found in the Bible for preaching is the word herald. Uh, ministers are to herald the gospel. And in ancient uh, times when there were kings, the kings had heralds. And the, the heralds would uh, take a message from the king, and uh, usually on a, a scroll or a parchment and so forth, they'd go by horseback riding uh, to the far reaches of the kingdom, and in every town and village and city in the kingdom, the herald would uh, uh, summon people to the town square. He would unfurl the scroll, and he would proclaim the message of the king. And when you heard the message of the king from his herald, it had the binding force upon you. Think about uh, uh, Haman and uh, Mordecai and Esther. Uh, Haman sent out an edict uh, sealed with the king's signet ring that on a certain day all the enemies of the Jews could could gather and and put to death the Jews. Well, before that day uh, day came about, there was a change of affairs in the kingdom, and the king uh, got a new uh, prime minister, Mordecai, who uh, was also given the signet ring of the king to issue any edict that he wanted to. And so uh, he issued an edict, and the book of Esther describes how uh, the, the heralds went out is proclaiming the message of the king that came with the king's authority. And, and when, when the, the message of the king goes out with authority, uh, it is binding upon those who hear it. You know, if, uh, if a neighbor uh, tells the gospel uh, to his next door neighbor over the backyard fence, that's a wonderful thing to share the gospel with your neighbor. But when you hear God's herald proclaiming the message with the authority of the king, and that's what ordination is all about, ordination to the gospel ministry is, this man is my herald. And when you hear him, you are hearing the king's word summoning you to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that word works together with the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who works inside of us to take away our blindness, to take away our deafness, and to enable us to hear, understand, 
and believe. And through the work of the Word and Spirit in our lives, uh, God is gathering. Christ is gathering His church. I will build my church, He says. And, and how does He do it? Well, he, he sends out His Word, and He sends out His Spirit, and the Spirit and the Word work to make believers and gather them together. You know, Jesus said, I will build not the church. He said, I will build my church. Because that, that word church in the original language, is in the Greek language, is ekklesia. And uh, it, it uh, was used in when the Old Testament was translated into Greek 300 years before Christ, a book called the Septuagint, because supposedly there were 70 scribes that uh, did the translation work. Uh, some say 70 years also. But anyway, uh, uh, when that was translated... The word ecclesia, which we know as church, was used to translate the Hebrew word congregation. And of course, there can be all kinds of congregations, and there can be all kinds of churches. The word church literally means the called out ones. And once there was a a riot uh, in one of the cities where Paul was uh, preaching, and uh, the group that came that were demanding uh, Saul's uh, punishment or that Saul be cast out or whatever, they were called a church. They were called an ecclesia because they had been summoned together to deal with this upstart apostle who is creating such havoc for all the, the idol makers. Uh, so Christ says, I will build my church, my called out group. And we are called together, called out of the world, called unto God through the gospel. We are Uh, a a called-together community. And because we are called together by the Word and Spirit, we must be careful to not try to improve on Christ's method. Uh, Some churches today uh, depend on mass marketing techniques to build the church, thinking that uh, preaching is an outdated mode of communication, They rely on uh, entertainment and flattery and all kinds of uh, fireworks and whatnot to to try to draw people into the church. Uh, Believers also ought to, because we are a called together community, a congregation gathered, a gathered group, Christians should not think that they can exist by themselves apart from the gathered community. We need one another. Uh, as the body needs all its parts, as we read from 1 Corinthians 12. You know, we can only grow when we grow together. You know, that's the amazing thing about the body. Your your arms don't grow while the rest of your body remains small, or your legs uh, don't just grow while the rest of your body remains small. It all grows together. And if one part doesn't work well, then... The whole body suffers because of it. The whole body is hindered in its growth. If, if your lungs aren't delivering oxygen well to your uh, bloodstream, then uh, the whole body is going to suffer. If the heart isn't pumping blood well to the whole body, then it's all going to su- the whole body is going to suffer. If your digestive system isn't delivering nutrients uh, to the whole body, uh, the whole body is going to suffer. Every part has to function and it has to function well in order for the whole body to grow. You know, it would be uh, foolish to uh, 
cut off my finger and then hope that my finger will continue to function and work by itself and continue to thrive by itself, cut off from from my hand. But there are Christians who think that, that they can separate themselves from the church of Jesus Christ. Paul writes in uh, Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, then it builds itself up in love. You know, God's will is not that you go to church. God's will is that you join and unite with the church and become a living member of the body of Christ. We are a gathered community. Thirdly, we are a universal community. That is, a a community drawn from the whole human race. Not just Jews, but Gentiles, Dutch, Scottish, Irish, Italians, Asians, Africans, Indonesians. uh, From all parts of the world, God is gathering a people for himself. Some from every tongue, tribe, and people, and nation. This has been going on since Adam and Eve. And uh, I hope it doesn't come as a shock to you. <laughs> and I especially hope that it doesn't come as a disappointment to you. But when, it, when the whole church is, is finally gathered together, I'm sure that the people of light skin color like you and me are going to be in the minority because the vast majority of the, of the human race are uh, what are referred to today as uh, people of color. And uh, uh, most of us are not uh, uh, people of color. But uh, that, uh, that's just the way it is. Christ is, is building a, a universal church, uh, truly a Catholic church. That is, the word Catholic means universal. Uh, the idea of Roman Catholic is really uh, a contradiction in terms. It, uh, Catholic means universal. Roman means limited to a place. And uh, that's a contradiction in terms. I had a grandmother who uh, liked to... Uh, uh, play with people a little bit. Uh, uh, my grandfather and my grandmother owned a, a general store and they would have customers come in and occasionally church would come up as a discussion and, and uh, uh, someone would say, well, what church are you a member of? And my grandmother would say, uh, I, I go to the Catholic church. And they would look at her funny, Catholic? I thought you were Dutch and uh, Reformed. And uh, she said, uh, oh, not Roman Catholic, Holy Catholic. And uh, so she would uh, try to make that point that We're part of the Holy Catholic Church, the the universal church. But not only is it uh, a church of uh, diversity, and we need to embrace that diversity, and every every congregation ought to reflect the diversity of its community. Uh, If uh, we lived in a very racially diverse uh, community, we should expect that our congregation would be equally diverse. But not only are we a chosen community, a gathered community, a universal community, we are also a united community, united in true faith. The bond that unites us is the bond of the Spirit. Paul begins Ephesians 4 by saying, keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying there you have an obligation, an obligation to maintain 
in peace and reconciliation, a unity which is of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who makes the unity. We don't make it. He makes the unity. He comes into your heart, He comes into your heart, and your heart, and your heart, and my heart. And because He is in us, we are through Him united to each other. The Spirit unites us. The Spirit makes us one. And then we are under obligation to keep that unity in the bond of peace and reconciliation. The fruit of the Spirit's work is also that good confession, so that wherever we see people making a good profession of faith, particularly uh, those who profess uh, the faith, as it's summarized in the, the Reformation creeds, the creeds of the Reformed faith, we say they are our brothers and sisters. Whether they are in the Canadian Reformed Church or the Reformed Church in the U.S. or uh, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or the Reformed Church in North America, Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other uh, churches with whom we have ecclesiastical fellowship, but uh, all of the NAPARC churches, there are 13 denominations in the National Association of Presbyterian and Reformed Churches, NAPARC. Uh, we are united with them, and there are over 30 denominations in the uh, uh, ICRC, the International Conference of Reformed Churches, which is a worldwide organization of Reformed churches. They all confess the same faith that we confess. And uh, we're uh, called to strive to maintain the unity of the faith with them as language and culture and geography uh, permit we need to reach out to one another, encourage one another, and uh, work together. It's a beautiful thing that uh, uh, right now there are at least three denominations singing out of this uh, hymn book, United Reformed, Orthodox Presbyterian, and Presbyterian Church in America, uh, three uh, member congregations of NAPARC, and uh, uh, all singing from the same page. Uh, we give expression to our unity that way. We are a united church. And uh, we need to work to overcome any unbiblical causes of division between us. But not only are we a chosen community, a gathered community, a universal community, and a united community, we are a forgiven community because we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness means that God does not deal with us according to our sins, but removes them far from us. Psalm 103 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7 verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under, underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You know how deep the sea is? Well, the average depth is about 2.3 miles, 2.3 miles deep. And there are some places where it is between 6 and 7 miles deep. Reverend, uh, some of you may remember the name uh, Reverend Hans Eitenbosch, a seafarer's chaplain. Uh, he used to love to uh, explain to sailors that verse from Micah, Micah 7.19, that that God will take your sins and cast them into the depths of the sea because sailors especially are aware just how deep that is, how uh, unapproachable that is. Uh, nobody can go down to those depths and survive. Uh, 
uh, it is so far away that he throws our sins. That's what forgiveness means. The basis of such forgiveness is Christ's atonement. Out of sheer grace, he loved us and lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. He suffered the punishment that we deserve so that we, through grace and faith, might be adopted as his children and made heirs of eternal life. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. He's not angry with us anymore. Forgiveness does not mean we're perfect. Far from it. Indwelling sin continues to trouble us throughout this life. If anyone says he has no sin, the truth is not in him. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous who is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and who clothes us with his perfect righteousness, so that when God looks at us, he sees not our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. We are indeed a chosen community, a gathered community, a universal community, a forgiven community, a united community. And one other that's not printed in your outline in the bulletin, We are a heaven-bound community, chosen for eternal life, as the Catechism says, chosen for a life on a new earth, the new heavens and the new earth. We considered that from uh, 2 Peter 3 recently. Uh, God has great things in store for us. We are all in this life, pilgrims, passing through what the psalmist called the Valley of Baca, Uh, the valley of uh, dryness and uh, arid uh, forsakenness. That's uh, what the word baka means. It's an arid uh, place of no rain. And it's a metaphor for uh, a place of sorrow, a place of tears. It's sometimes uh, uh, called the veil of tears. Uh, In the baptismal form, we we say that this life is a a constant uh, moving toward the grave. Uh, all of life is, is, is difficult. It's never easy. And uh, it doesn't get any easier as you get older. So uh, be prepared. Don't uh, look for those golden years to try to uh, make everything, think everything is going to just be all coming up roses all the time. No, uh, there's... Uh, all kinds of weaknesses and infirmities of the flesh and uh, difficulties to face in old age. But our hope is set on the grace that will be revealed when Christ comes again. Uh, Now we have a down payment of it. Now we can rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. But uh, that's only a down payment The fullness of our salvation comes when Christ comes again. And so we are a heaven-bound community. Now the Catechism describes your involvement and my involvement in that and says, I am and always will be a living member of that. Isn't that a beautiful declaration? I am a living member of the church. Do you know that? How can you know that? Well, there are two means by which we know that We are living members of Christ's church, or by which we may know that we are living members of Christ's church. There is the the, the work of the Spirit. We have been sealed with the promised Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance. 
Faith is not only a sure knowledge of everything that God reveals in his word, uh, that it is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that not only others, but I too have a share in Christ and his spirit. Paul talks about uh, God's spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And because the spirit is, is revealing to us that we are children of God, we can cry, Abba, Father, dear Father. Our beloved Father, we know that we are His children because the Spirit is at work in us, uh, convincing us that the gospel is true, not just for others, but for you who believe in Jesus. That's one means by which we know that we are uh, members, living members of Christ's church. Another is to, to see the fruit of the Spirit's work in our lives. Later on, we'll come in the catechism to the question, why do I still have to do good works? And... Uh, so uh, that I might uh, know of my faith by its fruits is one of the reasons why we do good works. Uh, Paul, writing to the uh, Ephesians, uh, says uh, this to them in Ephesians 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, did not cease to give thanks for you. I heard of your faith... And then I heard of the fruit of your faith, your love, your love for all the saints. And because I not only heard that you believe, but that, that you're showing love for one another, I, I give thanks to God. I'm just so thankful because that, that shows that your faith is real when you, when you love one another. You know, anyone who says, uh, I love God, but hates his brother is, doesn't love God. Uh, you have to love your brother in order to be assured that indeed your, your faith is real. Uh, there's another passage like this in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 begins with a very difficult passage about people who uh, uh, trample underfoot uh, the blood of the covenant by which they have been sanctified. And once they do that, there's, there's no second opportunity for them. Uh, they are forever lost. But then he writes in, in Hebrews 6, verse 9, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. I'm confident that you're not among these people who are forever lost, who are trampling underfoot the blood of the covenant. We are confident of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You say, I, I'm confident of better things for you because I've seen that your love for God is expressed in your ministry to one another. In your ministry to one another. You know, the church is the communion of the saints. We share in all Christ's treasures and gifts and then we use his gifts to minister to one another. That's another way that you can know that your faith is real and that you are a living member of Christ's church is, is that you love each other and you serve each other and you use your gifts to build each other up. You know, our default mode <laughs> is that we are born and conceived in sin and therefore by nature we are selfish. By nature, we are self-centered. By 
nature, we are greedy. We are lovers of money and we are lovers of self. And we, we put ourselves first. And then the Spirit comes through the gospel and changes us. And we learn to consider others better than ourselves. And we reach out to each other. We help each other and we love each other. And when you see that happen and you say, I know that that couldn't happen unless God was at work in me because by myself, I'm selfish and self-centered. I only think of me. But now because God is at work in me, I'm, I'm beginning to, to see the fruit of, of his work and, and he gets the glory and the praise for it. Are you a living member of Christ's church? Do you love one another? Do you look for ways to use your gifts for building up the body of Christ? That's the privilege that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word, and pray that you would impress it upon our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.